Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. We started a series last week with the question, what does it mean to flourish? What does it mean for us to thrive, both as individuals and as a community, as a church? And so we're looking at these statements of Jesus called the Beatitudes, where he says, blessed are the blessed are these kind of people, or blessed are these kind of people. And we said last week that that doesn't mean if you live this kind of way, God will bless you, a, tr- a transactional model. It means this is a picture of the good life as God sees the good life, not as the world prescribes the good life, but as God sees it and gives it. And so a, a better understanding, because I think um, our language can kind of get muddled around the word blessed, like we think of blessing as hashtag blessed, all the good stuff, all the easy stuff, what God has uh, given the good gifts that we would re- generally recognize as good gifts. Blessed can kind of be a, a cloudy word. What we want to say is blessed means flourishing. Blessed means thriving. So when Jesus says blessed, he's saying flourishing. Last week we said the poor in spirit. Flourishing are the poor in spirit because they see their deep need for God, that they are not self-sufficient, and that God is rich and loves to give that. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Today, we jump into, and I'm not trying to uh, be a jerk or like time this up just right, today is blessed are those who mourn. It's real. There's a real component. We have mourning in our church. Blessed are those who mourn. Now, again, I want to remind us, this is not do these things, live up to this, and God will bless you. Rather, uh, the Bible shows us a picture and says, live into this. Live into this, and you will see the blessings that God has for you. So Matthew 5, 1 through 12 reads, Seeing the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the poor in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now again, here's the thing. He's not saying, do this and God will bless you. And he's not even describing actions so much as people, not actions that people do so that they flourish, but people who are living a kind of way and flourishing. He starts with poverty. And I don't have anything in me. I'm impoverished. And God, you fill me. Matthew 5, 4 today says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. After a passionate description of the disappointments and bitterness of life, David in the Psalms cries out in Psalm 55, verse 6. He says, and I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. 
In these words, I think David voices a wish that often echoes in all of our souls at times. We want wings to get away from a life of bitterness and frustration and disappointment and pain. Oh, that I had wings that I could fly away from this. And then Matthew 5, 4 happens. And Jesus says, blessed are those who don't fly away, can't fly away. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Flourishing are those who mourn. Is he serious? Yeah. I believe him. Now, to mourn is the strongest word for mourning in the Greek language here. It's the word used for mourning the dead, the kind of grief that takes hold and can't be hidden. So what kind of mourning are we talking about here? I'm going to talk about three kinds of mourning that I think Jesus is getting at. First is the sorrows of life. Life is hard. In our first three years in ministry, we had a 16-year-old girl driving to pick her younger brother up at youth group, drive off the road and die. And I remember her brother not being able to leave her in the funeral home the night before the funeral. And how he just clung to the casket, weeping over her. This week we went to the funeral of a mother of one of our neighbors from when we lived in Fond du Lac. We hadn't seen him in a while, and when we came around the corner, you just connect in the sorrow. Your eyes meet, and sorrow is connected. And you know what we didn't do? We didn't offer a hollow, quick fix. We didn't say any of the jargon that would try and tie it up neat and tidy. I'll admit to you that I wept when Tony told me that they were leaving. And it and didn't feel bad about it, didn't feel weak about it, felt real. And I'll stand up here saying, I have no fear, and I have excitement, and I am mourning. All of those are happening at the same time. Life is hard. Hardness comes, and following Jesus doesn't protect you from it. He actually says you're flourishing when you allow yourself to step into it. You know sorrow, too. Friends move on. Relationships break. You lose loved ones. You lose your way. Betrayal and loss and abandonment and abuse and shattered dreams. We are no strangers to mourning. And here's what I want you to know. Following Jesus doesn't give you a pass. He doesn't tidy our lives up to keep the hard stuff away. He calls us to enter into it. The shortest verse in the Bible is uh, John eleven thirty five. 35. It says, Jesus wept. He walks up to his friend Lazarus' tomb who has died and who in a few moments Jesus is going to bring back to life, speak back to life. And yet when he gets there, he weeps. I don't find Jesus hypocritical, Right? I don't think he's weeping to put on a show so that others can say, oh yeah, Jesus is sad. Or what, what? I think Jesus is human. 
and death hurts. And so he weeps. Jesus doesn't keep us from sorrow. So that's the first kind of mourning. The second is when we look around and we see that the world is not operating like the kingdom of God. That we look around and we see brokenness all around us. Whether or not we feel the depth of that pain, we mourn because the world is broken. You see people walking through their life without Jesus. And you mourn. Even this world has a way even of celebrating sin, celebrating brokenness, lust and greed and lies and pride and self-sufficiency. Psalm 119, 136 says, My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. And he's not saying because people don't go through the checklist and just do the right things that your law was understood as, God, the way you have it for us, the way you would have us live, your law, to live the law was to live a flourishing life. I look around and people are not living that way and I weep. I weep. I see people living far from God, far from what God has for them and my heart hurts. Now, just a note. I think when this is from Jesus, it doesn't take the form of judgmentalism. It takes the form of sorrow. Luke 19, 41, Jesus, it says, when Jesus drew near and he saw the city, he wept over it. He didn't yell curses at it. He didn't flag like banners that condemned them. He wept. Isaiah 53, verses 3 through 4 says, He, Jesus, was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their, hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Jesus wept over people's brokenness. He didn't bludgeon people with it. Are we grieved? Or are we self-righteous? It's right to grieve when people are far from God. And not just the individual living far from God, but the world living far from God. The world is broken. And so I grieve. Brokenness in governments and brokenness in systems and brokenness in establishments that, are, that were built to protect and are not. I see brokenness and I grieve. Brokenness in the world that we were given to steward. An example of this is like before 16. Dan getting up here and sharing and saying, there is brokenness. And rather than taking wings and flying away from it or turning a blind eye and say, it's not happening here, what does it look like to enter into the morning, not to stay there and not to feel guilty and not to feel shame, but to get into the muck and say, what could light do here? But I first have to mourn that this is broken and, I, and it's not right. We look at Dresember and IJM and our partnership with them in saying we mourn that there are women and children and men around the world who Jesus calls our neighbors who are oppressed and enslaved. Even today, 
And before we do anything, does our heart break? Because we don't want to just go half-hearted. We mourn. The Serenity Home knows mourning. And over and over and over, step into it. Christians shouldn't look away. To follow Jesus is to follow one who entered into the sorrow. And so we engage. We get on our knees with people who are hurting. We fight for those who can't fight for themselves. This is related, and we'll talk about it in a couple of weeks. So when Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Mourning, I think, comes before the hunger. Mourning awakens a hunger for what could be. We look around and we see the world out of sync with the kingdom and we follow Jesus into it. So those are the first two kinds. Life is hard and I feel it and the world is broken and I see it. And the third is this one. So am I. It's not just out there. There's brokenness in me. And this is the main point I think that Jesus is getting at. The deepest sorrow is in my own sin. Jesus wants us to be people who recognize our own brokenness and we grieve. And here's why. When I look at my sin, I see what my sin does. When I look at my sin, ultimately, I see the cross. It's as if to say, this, this is what sin does. It takes the most beautiful life the world has ever seen and it smashes it on the cross. And that's my sin. I'll, I remember years and years ago when Mel Gibson came out with The Passion of the Christ and he was talking about in an interview the scene where Jesus is nailed to the cross and he said, for that scene, I wanted it to be my hand because I wanted to be reminded it was my sin that put him there. The cross serves to open our eyes to the horror of sin. You can talk about it till you're blue in the face about how broken the world is, and it is. But will you be honest about the brokenness that is in you? And I'm not saying this to be a jerk. It's in me, too. When we see that, we're ready then to see the gift that Jesus gives us on the cross. It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus didn't ultimately do it so that we would feel bad, so that we would walk around guilty, so that we would always uh, have this shame that covers over us, that we would focus on our sin in a way that constantly holds us down. Jesus did it to eradicate our sin. But to see what Jesus did, I need to be mindful of what, why he did that. Right? I don't have to stay in my sin, but I do grieve. I do mourn that that's what had to be. He did it for love, and he did it for joy. And even on my worst day, even on your worst day, God does not falter in his love for you. I mourn my own sin, but I take comfort in a God who never leaves, who will not forsake, and who fills me up and calls me by a different name. 
Matthew 5, 4 says, Blessed or flourishing are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Mourning sets us up to be comforted in four ways. Mourning shows us the kindness of people. It's amazing what you can receive when you open your mourning up to others, when you don't isolate yourself. Have you felt that? When you share grief with others and they meet you in it. Now, it's like a, it's like a double-edged sword because at times you can open yourself up to mourning with somebody else and they can not enter it in you. They can reject you and the mourning increases, right? But to take the risk and to not isolate and to put yourself out there and to have somebody join you. Say, I won't run away. I'll meet you right here. That is comfort. The second way is it can move us to show kindness to people. It opens us up to the kindness of others and it moves us to kindness for others. We spend ourselves for people. It grows in sorrow and it grows in mourning and then we spend ourselves for others to meet them. We see brokenness and we enter into it and we can be comfort bringers. We get to be comfort receivers and comfort bringers. The third way is mourning shows us that nothing, nothing else can comfort us, ultimately. And mourning shows us, as nothing else can, that we have a God of comfort, like Tony said, and a God of compassion. When all else is stripped away, God is still there. Remember Psalm 55, 6. David cries out, and I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. A few verses later, in Psalm 55, 16, David says, But I call to God, and the Lord saves me. I don't have wings. I can't fly away. If I did, I would, but I don't, and so I won't. I call to God, and he saves me. When we don't have the ability to escape mourning, we recognize that God's there. We recognize that God hasn't left. We recognize that God still loves unshakably. In our darkest moments, God is right there. I think the world offers a cheap facade. It's a cardboard cutout of comfort. It's wrapped up in avoidance and it's wrapped up pretty and it says all kinds of neat things so that we can kind of not get into the morning, that we can escape it. And sometimes we wrap up God language in a worldly kind of comfort. God won't give you more than you can handle. And we quote some verse that isn't in the Bible. That's not true. God sometimes gives us things that we feel like break us, and yet he's good, and he's faithful, and he's not doing it to punish. He's doing it so that we flourish, right? When we know that we can't handle it, we are in a wonderful position to go to the God who can. The comfort of God is real. 
While the world offers cardboard that gets knocked down, God offers something much, much stronger. He's with us. And we don't have to pretend. And we don't have to despair. Comfort and joy grow in the soil of mourning. And comfort and joy that grow in the soil of mourning, they stand the strongest and are the most unshakable. God gives us a new identity. We are no longer slaves. We are sons and daughters. We are set free by the Father's love and by the Son's sacrifice and by the Spirit's power. And we get to live not held down by mourning, but flourishing in the morning, courageously stepping in. When things are good, we tend to stay at the surface. Sorrow drives us into the deep stuff of life, and strength is forged there. The fourth way that comforting comes, it gives us comfort knowing, like Jim prayed, knowing that one day when Jesus returns, all will be made right. That he has already come, he's already brought his kingdom, but it's not yet fully here. And there's brokenness all around, and there's brokenness in people I see, and there's brokenness still residing in me. But one day, all will be made right. Jesus will come back, and he will drive mourning away. And so we don't give up, and we don't give in, and we almost in a righteous anger said, do your worst. Bring it on because I know a God who's bigger. We grieve, but we don't grieve like the world grieves. We grieve with hope. Now here's a final thought. Make sure that you don't grieve alone. Invite others in. Don't isolate. Mourning in community changes the mourning. Make sure you invite God in. That he's already there. He's already gone before you into it, and he will meet you there. Isolating, pushing people away or pushing God away, blocks us from receiving the comfort that God has for us. So, where do you need comfort? Where do you need the comfort of the kingdom? Not a cheap imitation. Where do you need the comfort of the kingdom this morning? I want to invite you to invite God into that. Invite others into that. Now, do you know someone else who's mourning? How can you be available to them? Not to fix it, but to be with them. Let's be a church that doesn't try to avoid sorrow, but bravely enters into it. Let's be a church that grieves the brokenness in the world and in others. And let's be a church that grieves our own brokenness, not just to sit and wallow in shame, but to magnify Jesus and to let him and him alone be our comfort. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for seeing and for loving. Jesus, we thank you for coming and for rescuing. Spirit, we thank you for transforming, for empowering. 
so that in our mourning, we could find a comfort and a strength that stands up in the darkest of nights, unshakable as you are. Make us that kind of people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.